It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome. And it is my divine pleasure to bring you this show each and every week. We've been on the air in this particular format for over three years now, and there are over 200 archive shows that if, you know, they're basically spiritual nourishment. We interview authors, uh, people on the cutting edge of mind, body, and spirit. We interview musicians, and each month Spirit Secure Magazine has three music reviews, and starting soon you will get to hear a sound clip of uh, one of the different music uh, CDs that we review each month. So you'll start learning about music as well as all of the other wonderful information that we bring you. And the April issue is uh, printed and being shipped throughout the Midwest. It will be able to be read online by the end of the week. So there it is. That's enough of the, the plug. Other than um, if you want to be added to our email list, it's sacrosanct. We only send you information about uh, the radio shows, Spirit Seeker events, and other um, events that we are co-sponsoring, etc. So all you have to do is send an email to info at spiritseeker.com, ask to be uh, added to our email list, and then you will receive regular updates. The other thing is, is I just want to thank all of you who have been listening to the show. Blog Talk has noticed, and as of this show, we are um, – featured, uh, one of the featured shows by Blog Talk, and that's based on the number of listens and the quality of the guests that are on the show. And, you know, we just have so many people that have worked with Spirit Seeker for over 17 years that, you know, just make this radio show possible. So I just want to thank the listeners, thank the readers, and uh, thank the guests and all the people who make it possible for the guests to be on the show. And, of course, my producer. Okay, so here we go. Tonight we are going to be um, going between the worlds. We are uh, we have uh, author Annie Kagan, who is a chiropractor, or who who was was a practicing chiropractor. Let me put it that way. But she is still, of course, a chiropractor and a songwriter um, who was living a normal life, shall we say, and then all kinds of things changed for her. And uh, I'm going to let Annie tell you her story. But she went basically from this very busy, hectic, what looked pseudo-normal, shall we say, as we all know what's normal anymore. And then the next thing you know, her life changed. So, Annie, are you there? Hi, Cindy. Yes, I'm very happy to be here with you tonight. Uh, Well, I must say, reading um, your book, uh, which, by the way, the name of the book is The Afterlife of Billy Fingers, How My Bad Boy Brother Proved to Me There Is Life After Death. So, 
you know, I had a bad boy brother. Yeah. <laughs> and right. He did, he did not. I did not have the wonderful um, experience that you had, but I did. I did have visits, shall we say? But, but to the listeners, saying, what are they talking about? Let's just kind of lead up to this because, you know, I really do. You know, when he, when your brother coined you Greta Garbo, I could totally see like this woman who'd had this crazy busy life and then overnight it kind of changed so will you share with the listeners just what your life was like and then we'll talk about your brother billy and then um we'll just we'll just keep going back and forth okay fantastic okay so i had um probably what looked like an enviable new york city life I had uh, a husband who was an attorney. I had a successful chiropractic practice, you know, shopping, lunch with the girls, the whole thing. And um, working with my patients, I was very, very devoted to my patients. And after some time, working with people who were in pain, became difficult for me, and so I turned to a meditation practice to try to remedy that. But the strange side effect of my meditation was that I started to become super, super sensitive to everything. All my senses were heightened, and then um, working with patients became even more difficult. And so, so did my New York City life, the pace, the noise, the overload, the sensory overload, even the um, the requirements of being a wife. Everything started to feel like I didn't belong in my life anymore. And even though I was terrified, I sold my practice. I left everything, all my friends, everything behind. I bought a small little house by the bay and... I I just sought solitude, like I just needed to be away from everything and to be alone. And um, I had no idea at that time that my life was setting the stage for a whole new adventure. Well, and here you are, almost uh, almost a recluse. You went from uh, this very worldly. You know, I mean, we all know New York, and then all of a sudden, here you are, like, alone with yourself. Completely. I, I What did I say? I joke around in the book, like, sometimes for a week, I just stayed in my pajamas. You know, my hair was like a salad, and I only saw the mailman. So, yeah, it was a oh, big I know. change. Yeah, when you describe that, I thought, you know, for, for anyone who has deadlines and is, you know, working out of their home, shall we say, it's like... You know, I remember the first time someone said, don't you want to, you know, do your work with the webcam? And uh, and I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's the joy and privilege of doing this work. You know, you you have this privacy. But here you are, you know, now you have this, and and I'm teasing because, you know, the Greta Garbo, you know, she was known as, you know, uh, and, and many people who have a public persona, uh, such as that are recluses, you know, and so I totally could relate, you know, when when your uh, brother Billy nicknamed you Greta Carbo. He did, and also what he meant was, and and I have to admit that, in a funny way, all the meditation that I did made me so detached from life that I became kind of um, bored, or like I, you know, I just want to be alone. I wasn't. 
I became a little bit jaded and a little bit um, detached from the ups and downs and the highs and lows and the things that used to make me happy just didn't anymore. And so, you know, I just was, I, I was definitely hiding. Well, and then, you know, you were, you were the older sister. No, the younger sister. Oh, I take it back. I, I reversed it. I am so sorry. I was the but, baby. But, right, right. But you you grew up being the, the, the good girl, shall we say, where, you know, everything kind of seemed to come naturally, your good grades and, you know, your your extracurricular activities and your love of music and, you know, the perfect little star in the play. And what was your older brother like? Yes, and Billy used to say his life ended the day I was born because on top of everything, I was a girl. And uh, my father had only had brothers, and he really wanted a girl. And ever since I was little, my brother was considered a bad boy which meant that he was a problem in school. He he delved into a romance with uh, drugs and alcohol. But really, I kind of meant the title tongue-in-cheek because to me, Billy was kind of like a glamorous figure. He was kind of like my own James Dean. He was handsome. All the girls loved him. He did what he wanted, when he wanted. He he was kind of a free, very free spirit. So, you know, the good girl kind of envied the life of the bad boy just a bit. Right, right. And, you know, so... so with siblings, you know, we we all know like normally it's the crown prince, et cetera, and it was almost like a little bit role reversal in in so far as oh here's this little girl and you know et cetera and you know just reading reading about you know his experience with school and you know like you know and then later in the book you know when he realizes um, once he's on the other side which. We're going to get to that, listeners. Um, then he realized that he really was smart, but it was just the cookie-cutter approach where they didn't understand him on any level. And he realized that he actually was smart, you know? And you Yes. Know, he was brilliant. I mean, you could tell from his writing now, you know, because now he's writing from the other side, and we we joke about it because... You know, I was always the smart one, but you know, the book is written where it's it's him and and me, and then him and me, and I labor at my part. It doesn't just flow, but his part, I sit and he, and he dictates. It just comes out beautifully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So you know, we we joke about that now. So let's go back to um, <clears throat> the the topic that you know, haunts so many families and and is still, you know, just so prevalent in our society. And the one word is addiction. So let's talk about Billy's journey before um, before things changed. Okay. I also want to say that uh, that's something that I learned that was very important after people began reading this book. I've gotten so many uh, emails and comments on Facebook because the the um the circumstance of having as you know having a bad boy brother 
it hasn't been explored very much in the literature. And the effect on you, you know, when you have a problem sibling, it affects your whole life. And people find a lot of comfort in that aspect of the reading. Like, wow, that's me, right? And, um, and, and, and the addiction issue is, is such a difficult one. And I wish that I had, uh, that I knew back then what I know now because I would have been able to understand more about Billy's addiction, be less judgmental and, um, maybe probably detach with love. You know, it's it's just hard. I mean, and your book addresses it from every angle. You know, your, you know how you you thought of him almost every day, and yet, you know, you were criticized for helping. You were, you, and this is what addiction, you know, in my opinion, does is that, you know, you just want to help in so many ways, and then they say, oh, no, you're enabling, and you know, you have to do this tough love, and then you do the tough love, and then you know, you're afraid something will. Uh, I mean. You can yeah, it's, it's impossible. Right. It's 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 so difficult, and um, of course, I I went to a therapist trying to figure out what to do because Billy was quickly going down the tubes, and whatever I did did not help him. And the only thing that was happening was that I was getting sick from trying to help him. I was the only one, you know, left to help him. My mom was really older by then, and she couldn't do it. And nothing that I did helped. And my my therapist used to say to me, you know, you're between the fire and the frying pan, because if you say goodbye to them, you're guilty, right? If you help them... It's dark. It, you get drawn into their darkness. Um, but I did learn something uh, now that that I that I think is helpful, which is that I understand now that in a way, when he was trying to get help from me, that I couldn't really give him the help he needed, and that's why I say detach with love. Because it was only when I really would say, no, I won't talk with you unless you're really going to go to rehab, that he would go. Because you have to understand, they're high. So their experience is different than ours. And they, I feel like the addict can, part of the disease is they play this little game with you because they want company. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know if I'm going off on a tangent here. But, no, no, uh, no, no. You're helping people. So, you know, and and you know, the 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 other added component, you know, with your brother is, you know, he lived six. It was sixty years. Yes. Sixty-two. Right? Yes. Sixty-two. So the fact that he, you know, played this, you know, Russian roulette thing, you know, with life, and was so charming. You know, I mean, that was the that was the whole thing. He people were, you know, especially when you know someone is so is charming, you could feel it. You could just, you know, even in the way he talked to you from the other side, you could feel it when it shifted. But yes. then at one at one point, you were like, "Is he playing me again?" Even from the <laughs> other side, is he playing me? <laughs> so right, so, I wasn't sure at first because at first, I I, I felt very uncomfortable writing this book. 
because I felt like, you know what, if people were supposed to really know what happens after you die, they would know already. And and here's my bad boy brother giving me this information, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, like, I don't know, I'm tinkering with this taboo here. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Why should I be listening to Billy? He certainly wasn't an authority on what could get you into trouble. So, right. <laughs> you know, so we would, we would argue about it, really. And it uh, took time, but our relationship actually transformed over this time after he died and the love and the healing that took place. I mean, uh, there's one thing that, that I think is so beautiful that I want to mention here because when he died, I had so much guilt, right? Because you always, when someone who's an addict, and I get so many letters like this, you just feel you failed them. There's guilt. And, you know, so I, I was sitting there one day when he was giving this particularly loving blessing to me, and I started to cry. And this is when he's on the other side already, and he says to me, you know, you're sitting there crying, wondering if I forgive you, but maybe the real question is, do you forgive me? <laughs> right, right. The great turnaround. Yeah. So, you know, Annie, let's, um, so, so for the listeners that are thinking, what happened to Billy? Yeah, we're going know, ahead, yes. Well, it's okay. I mean, and that's really, you know, with addiction, you know, of this nature, you, you know, the loved ones are always on edge, you know, when the phone rings, you know, and so the phone ring and you're like, okay, what did he do now? But of course, you know, that wasn't what was happening. So, so let's just share how this all happened. I mean, the, you know, the call to your mom the day before, then, then here you get this call. I, you know, and my heart just went out to you when I read it. I thought I can just, you know, anyone who's experienced addiction and uh, to someone close, you know, you just know. You just are like, now what? Yeah, and I got uh, an early morning call. I had it happened to be in the shower, and there was a message from the police in Miami. And I was in New York, and my brother was in Miami, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, he got arrested. I can't believe Billy's arrested at 62. And I was shaking, and when I called, I found out, no, he hadn't been arrested. He had been hit by a car in the middle of the night and killed instantly. And uh, I pretty much went into shock. Shock sadness, you know, all the feelings flooded me at one time. And I was pretty much grounded in bed. I I, I couldn't get out of bed. And um, guilt, rem- rem- regret, fear. And I remember right after he died, there was this incredible snowstorm, and Billy always loved the snow. And I was so happy that it was this incredible blizzard because I felt like I could feel his spirit in the blizzard, his wild, wonderful nature. And then um, three weeks after he was killed, it was my birthday, and it was sunrise, and I was waking up, and all of a sudden I hear him calling my name from above me, Annie, Annie. Get up, it's Billy, it's me, get up. 
And I'm half asleep, and I'm like, oh, Billy, you're dead. You can't be here. <laughs> and he said, no, no, it's me, it's me. Get up, get get a notebook. And then all of a sudden, I was awake. I was up, I was out of bed. I had a notebook in my hand, so now I couldn't be dreaming. And he, the first thing he told me was, honey, baby, don't worry because I'm fine. I'm I'm great. There's nothing cruel for me anymore. And I'm I'm I I drifted up a beautiful chamber of silvery lights and as the lights touched me, this the nanosecond that they touched me, they healed all the pain that I suffered my entire life. And then I drifted up this chamber and now I'm floating through a divine universe. And the lights around me have have all the divine qualities of kindness and love and understanding. And please don't be sad. I see that you're sad. And then, of course, in his Billy Bad Boy way, he said, you know what? Death couldn't be better, really. It's just wonderful. And you know what? Jeff isn't as serious as you think it is. So, honey, remember, life isn't as serious either. And we will meet again. You know, listeners, this is how reading this book is. You're <laughs> back and forth and all around, and you don't know what Billy's going to say next. And then, you know, and Annie, like, you know, processing it and <laughs> keeping it all to herself and, you know, and then sharing it. We'll get to that. But, but you know, I love when Billy started talking about bliss. And he's like, what is bliss? Bliss is like being in a, in love multiplied by a thousand, but it has nothing to do with anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, and then he he's so funny. He says, what does he say right after that? Like, when you're in love, when you're on earth, you know, love love has its ups and its downs. Right. But over here, bliss, there's no downside. Right, right. And you know, and I, I love how he said the minute he dropped the body, like he, he sur- it was almost like he surrendered. You know, well, first of all, let's, let's, let's explain. He was in the emergency room and they wouldn't admit him. Is that, if I remember correctly? And so he was annoyed. Yeah, he got really mad because, you know, he, he actually, my, my wonderful husband, when I couldn't deal with Billy anymore, he kind of took over the job, and I think Billy had been in a rehab, and then he left, and and my husband was giving him, you know, money in case you had to stay someplace for a Ramada Inn, and I think Billy was sick at that point, and he was uh, coughing up blood, and of course, he went to the emergency room really high and they said look you, you got to go to detox you can't go to the hospital right. and he was furious and he picked up a chair and then they called the police and he ran out of there and he got right. hit by a car right and it was you know and you know and here here's the policeman saying it was instantaneous he felt nothing and that just like totally ripped through you like how would how do you know you know like people don't know what to say in so many situations, and and here you are, you know, just like of all the ways you could have imagined your brother dying, those was probably, I mean, how could you ever imagine something like this? You know, it was it was so traumatic, and then of course calling his drug counselor was even more traumatic. Who who told me, you know, Billy was dead because he just didn't trust his higher power. 
And it was so mean, you know what I mean? Sometimes the whole system can be so insensitive. That's what, you know, a bereaved sister needs to hear. Right. And um, He I wasn't working I, the program, Annie. He wasn't working, yeah, right. He wasn't working the program. Meantime, oh. he was so spiritual and so close to God the whole time. And, you know, it just goes to show, like, you know, one of the wonderful things in the book that I love so much is when he says, you know what, we're all one and we have compassion for each other, but guess what? You don't really ever understand somebody else's life or what they're doing here. So you know what? Don't don't be so quick to judge another human being just by just by the way things look from the outer perspective. And guess what? Don't judge yourself either. It's so kind. You know, his message, somebody pointed out the other day, I, I, I wasn't used to thinking about it that way, but there's so much kindness in what he's saying, so much forgiveness and wisdom. Here's my crazy bad boy brother, you know, giving me cosmic wisdom in a very down-to-earth kind of street cred way. And here's your brother, you know, calling you princess, which used to be when when he was on the earth plane, kind of like, okay, princess. Exactly. And now it's like total endearment, you know. And so, and, and you know, so I love when he says, uh, my head going, well, I'm not going to say this. You have to read the book to get the full details. But yeah. when he says, what an angel that driver was. You know, here's this driver of of this taxi cab that hits him and delivers him from this world. And he says, what an angel, what a saint to go through all that he that he went through, you know, like, you know, thinking, oh, my God, you know, because, you know, here he hits your brother and, you know, he's dead. But he's like, I, um, I needed to be delivered, darling. I wish you could find that guy and give him a kiss for me. Yeah. I mean, what a perspective, right? And also for me, you know, the fact, like the princess thing, all my life I wanted Billy to love me. It's true. I did everything that I could to try to get Billy to love me. And he just kind of ignored me a lot. I mean, we were close sometimes, but it was like now he was coming back and giving me all of this love that I had wanted for so much of my life. And so, uh, what can I say? It's an ongoing, wonderful, loving, loving relationship that has very much to do with, carries the flavor of more divine love than human love, right? Well, you can feel it. You can just... You know, feel as his his as the messaging back and forth continues, and you know, I especially was just like, oh my gosh, now he's giving her messages for other people. So let's talk about your writing group because I thought, you know, that was just so interesting. How, of course, the, you shared, you know, with the the uh, leader of the group, so to speak. So she knew. And she's encouraging you to share. And then your brother is encouraging you to share and giving you a message you have absolutely no comprehension as to what it means. So let's just let's just share this because that was the okay. thing. Like, and, and, you know, and give that message after you tell about me getting hit by a car. I mean, all these pieces he gave you. 
Yeah, no, that's a really hard one. So I'll, I'll do my best. It's a hard one uh, unless you read it, but, but I will do my best. But I think we need to explain that about the second time Billy visited me, he knew, you see, part of me, I was really skeptical. Even though I heard his voice really clearly, I said to myself, you know what, this this has to be my grief talking to me. Somehow I'm creating this experience because no one's talking to me from another level clearly like this. You know, I'm a scientist. I, this is crazy. I, I, I must be making this up. So I think the second time that he came, he said, you know, I understand that you have doubts about this. Who wouldn't? So I'm going to give you proof that um, that I'm real. And I had no idea what that meant. So I was in a writing class, and my friend Tex um, tried to convince me. She knew that Billy was talking to me. She was only one of about three people. She said, why don't you come and read it in class? And I said, I'm I'm not going to class. I'm not telling people my dead brother's talking to me. No way. But, of course, she convinced me to do it, and I did, and there were about five people in the class or something like that, and there was one man, and the one man in the class was very skeptical. You know, everybody else was ooing and eyeing, and he's just looking at me like, you know, there's something really wrong with this woman. And um, then the next time when Billy, when I was when I was home and he was dictating to me, the man's name was JB. He said, you know, the next time you go to class and you read and you're talking about my car accident, I want you to tell JB there ain't no sunshine without the sun. I said, what? (laughs) Do you mean the song, Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone? He said, no, ain't no sunshine without the sun. And then, of course, Billy and I are arguing. I'm not telling that to JB. He already thinks I'm a fruitcake. I'm not delivering messages to people. Okay, again, here's my bad boy brother. So I go to class, and I read first, and I'm reading about, you know, the terrible car accident. And and in spite of myself, because when Billy tells me to do things, somehow I, I feel compelled, I turn to JB and I say, I know this sounds crazy, but Billy has a message for you. There ain't no sunshine without the sun. And JB didn't say anything. Nobody said anything. Everyone just kind of went on with the class. And then it was JB's time to read. Now, JB is a very unemotional man, doesn't show a lot of feeling, very smart, you know, the type, kind of removed. And he starts reading from his autobiographical novel about his time uh, in Europe. And uh, I think he was... uh, writing or painting, I don't remember right now. And all of a sudden, J.B. starts to cry. Right. And he then reads about something that none of us knew, which was that his son, his young son, his eight-year-old son, had been hit by a car and killed. Right. And then... We're all silent and sad, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, ain't no sunshine without the sun. It's not S-U-N, it's S-O-N, without his sun. And I'm like, oh, my 
my God, is anyone else realizing this? And the class ended very abruptly. No one said anything. JB gathered his papers. Everyone left. And I'm left behind with my friend Tex. And we were looking at each other and we're saying, what just happened? Like, was Billy trying to let JB know his 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 son still existed like it was really really crazy right because nobody knew about it the message was so strange and tech said you know what that was way too specific to be an accident right. and, and tech yeah. text listeners is the the leader of this writers group who is just this Funny, funny, dear friend. I mean, when you read this, you 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 want to just put your arms around her, you know, because here she is, like encouraging you to like share this. She's the only one who knows about your brother communicating with you. You know, you're in this, you know, in this remote place by the sea, like with your brother talking to you and talking about. It's so different over here. It's just so different. It's okay. Stop. You know, like you know, totally communicating and. You know, I think even even setting the stage for this when, you know, you were becoming so sensitive for meditation and, you know, dealing with the pain, which is oftentimes the catalyst for people to go to, you know, a medium and try and talk to someone on the other side or whatever. And, you know, and here you are, you know, you know, this, this communication from your brother and then when he's like, okay, I'm going to test you almost. Are you going to deliver this message or not? And you're actually arguing with him. And this is the part that I just love about your book. It's you share the whole energetic thing of what it's like to to receive messages. And, and I love how Billy says, but you have to have the sender and the receiver, and it all has to be lined up, like the willingness. Yes. And, and you know, when, when I first began uh, transcribing Billy's words, I was 100% convinced that, first of all, this was never going to be in the world. <laughs> and and, and, and oh, second of all, <laughs> that I would just, okay, I'll just put all of Billy's writings together and give it to the world, like, without me in it. And, uh, you know, Tex was like, you know, no, no, you have to put you in it. You can't just shove Billy's writings out there. You need to you know, the reader has to identify with someone. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, I have to reveal everything about myself. I'm not good at that because I'm, I'm like, one of these people who are, like, really private. Like, I don't even talk to my girlfriends about really private things. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? And then I realized, wow, actually, Billy, Billy is the one who helped me. He said, you know, I know you really don't like the idea of being an author, of a spiritual book with your dead brother. But you love mysteries. Why don't you try on the role of cosmic detective? And that sat really well with me because I'll read P.D. James any day. I oh, love I mysteries, <laughs> right? I just love mysteries. So then I decided what I would do with my part would be I would take the reader by the hand and lead them through the mystery as I experienced it, finding the clues, the clues Billy would give me, how he proved it to me, how I doubted, how I didn't doubt, you know, and here we are exploring the greatest mystery of all, which is, you know, what happens after you die? And that once I got 
to that, I knew I could do it. That that made me really happy. So in a way, the book's a little bit of a thriller, right? A little bit of a oh, mystery absolutely. story. Oh, absolutely. And you, uh-huh. know, you just can't put it down. It's, it's it's a fast read, but you have to pay attention because there's like so much information, you know. And um, and listeners, we are going to take um, we are going to take questions. If you have a question for Annie, she will she will do you know you know through through her filter of Billy and her experience with life and in the process of writing this book, she'll answer your questions. If you um, all you have to do is press one, and then uh, we will uh, my producer will let you know uh, let me know, and then we'll bring you on to the air. But I do I do want to talk about. Um, where he goes into talking about the holograms and all how it all plays out from every direction. Yes, I love that. And that's that's kind of an early stage of the afterlife. And it's also kind of different than what uh, people who have near-death experiences uh, say. And I think there is a difference when you're actually real-time in the afterlife and you're not coming back. So, Billy... Um, he finds himself at a certain moment. He he receives a blessing from a a light being that that seems to be like a a lightning stick figure, and he finds himself in the middle of a of a panoramic hologram, and pretty soon he realizes that all around him is the movie of his life, and he's able to choose where he wants to look in the movie. And he looks here and he looks there and he fast forwards and and he says one of the great things about this movie is he gets to live out all the choices that he didn't make in his life. So for example, if you know you wonder, well what would have happened if I if I married my first love? You get to live out that life and see how that would have been or you know what if you had done better in school or if you didn't go to school you get to live out all of the multiple lives but you do it in a very very detached way and uh one of the one of the beautiful things that i love is that he says you know people say there's judgment day after you die but the opposite is true because what really happens is no judgment day because the, the the beings that surround you in the other world are so full of unconditional love they begin to fill you with unconditional love towards yourself so when you view your life you have this unconditional acceptance and you understand why you did what you did and, and and you don't judge your life, you don't judge yourself. It's a very healing thing. And then in his Billy way, I'd love it. He says, you know what? It would have been really great if I would have been able to feel that way when I was on Earth. But I guess, you know, you would have had to be the Buddha to be that advanced. <laughs> oh, I know. When he said that part, you're just like, oh, my gosh, he gets it, the Bodhisattva, the the compassion and, you know, the just total, you know, unconditional love. And, you know, I mean, he just got it. And, and here you are. Like, you know, I, I really want to stress this that you were willing to be the receiver. You know, it's it's like the, the Course in Miracles were channeled. You know, these books about Jesus from a, a, a Judas Scotch, this, you know, person who has never even, like, worked with Jesus, and she received 
those whole books. She just, you know, she just received that information. And, you know, Billy said there has to be the sender, this receiver, and then permission. Yes. And when he told me we had permission, you know, I might have been a good girl compared to Billy, but I'm not really a parent. I've got an extreme rebellious streak within me as well. And as soon as he said to me what you just said, you know, guess what? This this book is supposed to happen. I'm the, the sender. You're the receiver. And we have permission that's when, at that point in the journey, um, I really had to, I couldn't hear him directly anymore. He would appear as a, an elliptical blue light in my room, and I had to focus, you know, to, to hear him. So when he told me, guess what, we're supposed to do this, I ignored the light. <laughs> right. oh, I, I would know. wake up, <laughs> and I would pretend I didn't see him. Right. right? And then and then of course it had been at a time when he had changed form and I didn't know it because up until then I only heard him. And now all of a sudden I didn't know that he had the ability to be seen, right? So here I am being very rebellious and think I'm, you know, fooling him that I'm not seeing him. And of course then I go outside and what do I see in the sky? Forgive me, listeners, but I'm not really crazy, but I really did see Billy as a translucent figure. But, of course, he was pretending to be an angel with a crooked halo, like you buy in a party store, making faces like he was a saint, like over-exaggerating. Right, right. You know, I mean, and you can just see this, and you can just, you know, feel the whole energy of, okay, we're now going to go to a next level. We're going to go to a next level. And, you know, he was saying kind of like, you know, and he would only do this when there were other people around. So I'd be pumping gas, and he'd be (laughs) floating around the sky, like, you know, kind of pretending to be an angel, not really (laughs) be an angel. And he was saying to me, you know what, come read the book. It's not that serious. Nothing terrible is going to happen to you. It's okay. You know, just play. You could come out. You don't have to be so isolated. Just come on, play with me. It's okay. You know, it's just so fascinating because there's just so many questions. You know, people want to know, well, what happens when you get to the other side? And, and you know, it's 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 just one one time I was interviewing James Von Prague, and you know, one of the call the questions from someone is, but how do I know my mom is okay? How do I know that she's okay on the other side? How? And he and he's like, he, you know, very similar to what you've written here. It's like the minute you drop the body and you're in soul level like experience. It's just all the pain's gone. Like, you know, it's all, I mean, you're still, it, it's almost like you're cosmically present with your life, but, but, but it's like, snap, just like that. Okay, we're in a different reality. You are. You're in a very different atmosphere. It's not an atmosphere of duality. Uh, one time he says, you know, um, Khalil Gibran, I think, was was his favorite poet, and I think there is a poem that says, you know, your pain carves out uh, the room for your joy. And he says to me, well, I have to tell you, there's no pain over here, and I really don't miss it. I don't miss a tiny little bit of it. You know, but he, he, he goes on to explain that it is natural in life to have pain, and that's okay. It's just part of life. But it's not part of 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 the divine atmosphere of of the next level. Right. 
You know, he says, I was an incurable drug addict who wasn't even capable of making a living. Who would have thought that I would be ready for becoming the universe? You know, well, that just shows that you can never judge anyone's life, yours included. And then he says, sometimes in hardship, you're forced to stand alone. And standing alone prepares you for becoming the universe. I'm certainly not suggesting anyone take my path, definitely not. But I am recommending that you see through your own eyes, not through the lens of others. Make your life as interesting as you can. Take chances. Go after your dreams. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. Who wrote that? (laughs) (laughs) Annie! No, that was was a total Billy. I mean, I've so learned that from him. Like one of the things he says is, you know what? Humans make up stuff and and then they believe it. And I think he stresses, look through your own eyes. Look at your beliefs. He talks about Maya and that the the um, the, the uh, illusion illusion is woven with the invisible threads of your belief, and we run around fulfilling other people's beliefs. We spend our life that way. So don't. And 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 even when he was so sad and alone at the end. Later later in the book, you see that he was actually having a very deep and personal relationship with the divine. There's evidence of that, you know, irrefutable evidence. Well, it's even when he says, you know, talks to you about the car and you didn't even realize he had a car. And you're like, what? You know, and then you call your now ex-husband and he says, oh, yeah, Billy had a Mercedes. And you're like, what? I mean, it shows you that he had this like charming special relationship with you know with the universe you know here here you don't even know about this this car and you know and then he's like get my things out of that car get my things and here you are like what you know so you just full faith you call your ex-husband did billy have a car you know i didn't even know he had a car yeah well that that was a really that was probably the first real proof because I didn't, I wasn't in touch with him at the end of his life, and Billy always was speaking to me when I woke up early, and all of a sudden I'm in my kitchen and I hear Billy's voice booming, "Get the things from my car," and I didn't even know he had a car, and I'm like, "How do I find your car?" You know, I'm in New York, you're in Florida, and he told me to go. The police had sent me the few things that were on his body. He told me to go get his card holder. I did, and there was a card from a Mercedes dealer. And when I found it, he goes, bingo. I call the Mercedes dealer, and he had Billy's car. And the things that Billy wanted me to get from his car, which I will not reveal here, were part of the amazing mystery. And one of those things was a life changer for someone that I knew. He changed people's lives. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was almost like you were in the mystery, like not understanding the messages. And then all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, I understand it now. I mean, it was like... 
I don't know. This is a fascinating book, just absolutely fascinating. You know, even even with, you know, I loved how he talked about, you know, so, some people, like, like you know, I think it was, and forgive me if I, but I think I have this right, you know, yeah. like how your dad wanted to make contact with certain people when he went to the other side, and Billy, by the time he, you know, he was so spiritually evolved before he left. Like, he just knew that the only thing he wanted was to like understand this whole deal a little bit better with God and all of the you know complexities he he was very alone at the end and I think that that actually strengthened him it did and you know um one of the comforting things about this book I I recently got a letter uh an email from a woman who read the book and said thank you thank you Billy because she has three children, three children who are all heroin addicts. And she said that she knew that they were all very evolved souls, really, and that everybody always fought with her about that. But she knew within herself that they had spiritual gifts, and this confirmed that. And... um yeah, sometimes really sensitive souls, you know, you can't, you just, you just can't judge. And I know there's a book review, I think it's from the UK, about, you know, how, how this book can help us view addiction in a different, in a different way. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I live in, you know, St. Louis. And it's a, it's a nice neighborhood, nice school. Just, you know, it's you wouldn't expect a heroin addict to be on my street. But, you know, uh-huh. her, heroin hits every walk of life, mm-hmm. every everything. And there was a young man across that lived across the street. And, you know, he, he would play out his addictions. You know, he was a heroin addict from the time he was, I think, 16. Yes. And um, finally, at age 27, the family, I don't even know, it wasn't quite 27. He, I think it was 25. But I could not look. I mean, I, I would see him, and I would just send him love, you know, and, and I, I feared for him because I I, I feel things. And, um, and when I originally redesigned the office that, you know, kind of looks out on the neighborhood, I feel like the neighborhood watch person in a in a loving way. Mm-hmm. You know, my, when I put my Buddha outside, someone says, what is that? I'm like, I'm just blessing the neighborhood. <laughs> but, but when I set this up, you know, I'm a feng shui consultant too, and when I designed the, the office where I do most of the spirit seeker work, I could not put the desk in this office the way I knew was the perfect feng shui because it was looking directly at this house across the street, and I just... I I felt what he was going through, and it's really interesting in the process of reading your book. And you know, I and I don't know this this family keeps to themselves, and you don't ask questions type thing. And yes, um, but I've rearranged my office, and because this book helped me, it helped me on many levels. I lost a brother to addiction. Um, It wasn't a car accident. Um, taken quite that way he took his own life but it was after he'd been in and out of treatment centers and just couldn't kick it and and he had damaged his body extensively so at age 35 that was that was the end and he was supposed to come to my house and I was seeing a therapist at the time who was saying you have to tell your brother you can't see him unless he's you know present you know if he's using you can't see him and you know, somebody was supposed to come to my house, and without going into all the details, because it's you know, it's it's a different, it, it's it's all sad, no matter how you look at it, until yeah. you get it that it's it's 
part of the deal. And oftentimes, the addicts are the most loving people on planet Earth, but they encounter, you know, judgment from every angle. So after my brother died, the next three clients in my private coaching practice all were men and all had addictions. Like one was wow. a one was a chiropractor with his exact same birthday and 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 a cocaine, his drug of choice was cocaine and he was still playing around with coke and I said I I said are you using now because I'm not going to you know take you into breath work and altered states if you're using drugs no 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 I'm I'm straight I said but if I said if that changes I need to know that so he made it through four sessions and then didn't come back but I couldn't figure out why three in a row and they had to have appointments right then and there so I called you know a friend and I said what is going on yeah but yeah yeah that's your brother from the other side sending these people to you to let you know that there was nothing you could have done this was his deal yes and it's like you know so it was a little bit different you know when he no no but you're so right on because there's you feel such an enormous responsibility but also i think that if 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 we don't see drug addiction and alcoholism as a moral issue you know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, they're just weak. That's like saying, oh, you have stage four cancer. You're just weak. You know, it's as if they have complete control over it and, you know, they're just doing it. Right. And that's that's not what I believe. And and I think if 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 some of the stigma was off, that uh, probably... It, there would be a whole different, different uh, take on it. Yeah, different, different treatment programs. I mean, right. you know, Billy, Billy had treatment programs. By the way, he he had a, a center with teenagers, and he helped them, and he loved them, and 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 he was loving. And I, I guess the message is, please don't judge. You right. know, don't just like. Sometimes people even judge people who are ill. I went, I've seen I went that the too in my experience. practice, right? Right, right. I went through the cancer experience almost seven years ago, and I'll never forget. You know, I was at a a New Thought spiritual church Christmas party. <laughs> this woman came up to me and she said, "You publish a spiritual magazine, and you're, you know, you're known in the spiritual communities." What was wrong in your thinking for you to get cancer? I mean, <sighs> I, I, it was like I had done something wrong to have this cancer experience. And I remember looking at her and I said, I'm not walking on water yet, but thank you very much. And I just walked oh, away. I was like in shock, you know, because. You know, but, that, that that's such, you know, that's such a destructive, false, it it kind of really drives me crazy because I was a doctor and some of the most spiritual positive people in the world would get ill and and some of the crinkiest most negative people <laughs> were perfectly healthy and I think that you know one of the things that I that that has freed me so much is that life is a wondrous mystery we can't control it all we can't figure it out. We don't know why some people are ill, why some people are drug addicts, why some people are wealthy. And just, you know, just enjoy the miracle of life. Don't think you could control it all. Just enjoy it as much as you can while you're here. 
because it's a miracle to breathe. It's a miracle to walk, and 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 you know, be kind to each other. Don't 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 look down on people. Well, that 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 listeners is what this book is all about. It it starts off with a tragedy that then leads to this amazing dialogue between a brother and sister and you know and and it goes to this whole understanding of how the soul evolves and what what changes you go through um there there are just these amazing nuggets of oh i get it oh all the way through and then from soul to spirit and you know i i just want to mention uh there are two websites you can go to um Annie Kagan, which is A N N I E K A G um A N dot com, or you can go to www.afterlifeofbillyfingers.com and we're not going to tell you why it's billyfingers.com because you have to buy the book. You have to buy the book and please, if you want a taste of the book, go to the Facebook page. Believe it or not, we have like 24,000 people in three months and it's a beautiful page with sayings from Billy and beautiful photos. It's um. It's it's the book page, the afterlife of Billy Fingers on Facebook. That's you could download a free excerpt there or on the website, and uh, yeah. And there is an excerpt in the March issue of Spirit Seeker. Uh, you just go to spiritseeker.com. We've been published online almost from the beginning of this magazine, which is fascinating to me. It was a, a gift from a friend in 1998 because, you know, the Internet didn't even start till 1994. And she, and she just said, you know, I'm just going to put you online. And so, you know, through the different changes, we don't have all of the, the archived issues, but we have the last, like, three or four years that are all archived. And um, and the other thing about this interview, if you're listening, and, um, and we know you are, uh, even after you listen it it's it's the minute this interview is finished it is archived that's the ver- the the beautiful virtues of you know a blog uh talk format so the minute we're finished with this interview you can you know send people you know to spiritseeker.com they click on the radio icon in the left hand corner and it takes you straight to my page so you don't have to go through you know blog talk all over although we we like you to go to blogtalk.com <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to just go directly to the interviews and then also um you know so Annie on Facebook what is the what do they search for do they search uh how do they find the, your page you know they just go to the afterlife of Billy Fingers. You know, they you put in that little thing when you're in the search for Facebook. And there's uh so many different sayings of Billy's paired with beautiful photos and people's reactions to the book and people talking about their experiences that they've had. It's it it is it's like a living entity full of light. It's really beautiful. The book has a lot of light in it also. And uh people often say, which I love, that Billy says things that they feel inside of themselves but they haven't had words for. And when they hear the words it's an experience for them, right? It's like, oh, yeah, that's true. I feel that. I know that. And so, yeah. Well, we're nearing the end, but we do have one question from uh, Angela in the chat room that um, I would like to take before we close. So, uh, Nate, would you be kind enough to share the question from Angela? 
Yes, uh, let me pull it back up here. I thought we were going to get to it. I'm sorry. Um, so her question was, uh, she hasn't read the book, but she was wondering, um, there was a family member that passed recently, and things started happening on the physical plane. Yeah. Is, the, is that the person that's trying to communicate with her, or is it more of a situation of the family? Um She's trying to just get the cause and effect of what's going on around her. Yeah. Well, usually I find that the person, the soul from the other side, tries to find a way to communicate with the family to let them know that they still exist because once you're on the other side, you're not suffering. Once, like like we said, they're not suffering, but they know that we're suffering. So they try to give you a sign to comfort you, to say, I'm still here. We will meet sometime. Be okay, I'm here. I still exist. And that's that's really why people get signs. It's a, it, It's to comfort them. Yeah, and they and they'll. I mean, it's just like you know the next three people coming to schedule appointments after my brother. I mean, I knew it was my brother. What in the world? How else could that have happened? You know, I mean, you know, and and you know, in this book, Billy addresses quantum physics and a whole new take. It's just there's just. I mean, it's just beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. You know, when you have the the the. You know, the endorsement, you know, the introduction from, you know, Dr. Raymond Moody, who, you know, many people know, you know, his with his work with the afterlife. And, you know, Bill Guggenheim, you know, a, a co-author, you know, Hello from Heaven. I mean, you just, I mean, this is just the perfect time for this book. And everything else. Oh, it is. It is. And I, and I think there is a revolution afoot. I do, because there are so many books about this subject now, and I, I think there is a, a movement to change the way we think about death and, and to realize we're eternal and not to be so frightened. So twists and turns is a suspense of a different nature. It's a spiritual, spiritual book that you know. I I thought it was so interesting. You know, and I know we're at the end of the interview, but you know how he kept saying, "This is not fiction, Annie. This is not <laughs> fiction. What more do I have to show you? This is not fiction. It's just, it's just funny. I mean, it's just you know so playful, and it's good to hear you laugh because I know you went through the dark night of the soul with this whole experience. But the light, the light that he talks about the light that I can feel when, you know, I read your book and, and, you know, and having this amazing opportunity to have you on the show, you know, sharing your your laughter, you know, and the love and how you just answer that question. You know, they just want you to know they're okay. It's all good. It is. It's all good. And thank you so much. This was such a pleasure to meet okay. you and speak with you and, and be on the show. Thank okay. you. Okay. Well, good night, everyone. Annie, thank you so much. And once again, afterlifeofbillyfingers.com. And like this book on Facebook and tell your friends. Okay. Good night, everyone. <laughs>
the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.